Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to just look at one passage, which is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a passage that all of us are very familiar with. But we want to zero in on this because if you remember, it's been an incredible missions month. How many of you have enjoyed that? Just raise your hand. You've been enjoying missions month. I hope some of you have been learning and growing and understanding more about the heart of God, even on a theological foundation for why we do missions, why it's biblical, why it's needed as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you remember, we, we decided to launch back in early November, which is our missions month, we wanted our theme to be to the ends of the earth. And so we kind of broke it, broke it down into different parts. And so the first part we talked about was to our neighborhoods, because we're called to love people that are around us. So we need to be good missionaries, if you will, in our neighborhoods. The following week, we talked about to the city, why Hong Kong is such an important city to the things that God desires to do in this region and this part of the world. And then last week, we were so grateful that we had Pastor Wayne come from Taiwan as he's part of Radius uh, Asia, and he shared his whole life story. His life is really the story. It's, It's who he is, where he literally went to Papua New Guinea, where there's a small little island with the BM people, where they never heard the gospel before. They don't even have a Bible in their language. There was no church in that island. But he and his family, along with two other families, they went there, loved on the people, learned the language. Can you imagine learning the language and then being able to then translate some of the gospel and the Bible so they can have it in their language and starting up a church because people came to know Christ. And then five years later, those BM people literally went to another island to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To me, that is one of the greatest stories of reaching out to the unreached. This morning, I want to close out and talk about part four, which is to the ends of the earth and reaching nations and why that's significant for us as a church. So what I'm going to do is I want to start off and just get a feel for the room because I know that we all come from different backgrounds, but I'm wondering how many countries you have visited in your lifetime. Some of you are like, I'm only 18. So in your short lifetime, I'm just wondering how many countries you have visited, whether it's for vacation, whether it's for work, uh, it could be for other reasons, schooling, but how many different countries have you visited? If you look at this, you will quickly realize that many of us in this room right now, we have actually been to several countries, minimally. And then you have some who have traveled to 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and some 20 and above. When I did it, it came out to 39. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I was thinking, wow, 39 countries. But then I had to pause, and I realized that there are 195 countries in the world. So I started doing some math, and I realized I've only been on this globe in 20% of the countries and the nations that are represented. So think about that. Like 39 might seem a lot, but it's only 20% of the world's country or the countries around the world. Now, why am I asking this, and what is so important? I think for many of us, when we visit a country, it's either for a holiday to kind of relax or have fun, maybe visiting family or visit a place with your family. But I'm wondering if you had to go to some of these countries, not just for relaxation, but to go and be a missionary there or live your life at that place. I'm just wondering if some of us will go. Now, let me put it a different way so it'll help you to understand what I'm trying to say here. 
I think if there was a job that was offering close to 500,000 USD per year, think about that for a second. 500,000, half a million dollars USD to go to another country. There are many of us in this room, we would not even, we won't even pray. It won't even be something that we would consider not to go. We will say, when, when should I pack? Just think about that for a moment. For some of us a little bit younger, you, some of us, if you think about it, if someone offered you a full scholarship for education to a different country somewhere, I'm wondering how many of you would just on a drop of a coin, you'd be like, I'm there. So here's my challenge. The way we make decisions oftentimes reflect our values. So if you value success, if you value material things, money, status, then anything that will help you in that, no matter how difficult and hard it may be, we would not think twice. And my challenge this morning for every single one of us is that are we willing to do something like that for the gospel? Because we love Jesus. Because we love people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to show you this quick video because it's a personal testimony of a missionary who worked somewhere in the Middle East. The identity had to be protected. So he worked somewhere in the Middle East amongst Arab Muslims. And I want you to listen because it's his personal sharing, but he's sharing about the realities of mission and how hard it is, how difficult it is. In fact, as he's sharing his testimony, I want you to notice some of the pain that he had to experience for being on the mission field. But what's more important as you listen to this short testimony is to help us to, as we listen to know the motivation why he decided to stay and still is ministering in that place in spite of all the things that he went through. So it's less than, it's about a minute and 40, 50 seconds. I just want you to listen to his story and what caused him to go to one of the most difficult places in this world. Let's listen to it together. This whole idea, is Jesus worth it? So even though his wife couldn't handle being overseas, that probably put a strain on their marriage. They lost their firstborn child. He says he still stays. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Can I ask you that question? Is Jesus worth it? To give your lives not only to him, but to those who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus worth it that you're willing to say yes to him and maybe no to some other things? which might be good things, but he's greater. I think this is one of the major reasons why we still have many people around this world who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If every single believer, we went and we shared the gospel, every single person in this world would be able to hear the gospel. It doesn't mean they will become a Christian, but they will have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to challenge all of us as we think about even this missionary who went through what he went through. Is that are we willing to go thousands of kilometers away to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's worth it? More so than us willing to go to another place freely and without even thinking about it because we're going to get a half a million dollars per year. 
I'm wondering at the end of the day, what is more valuable to you? Is it the temporary things that will fade away? Because none of us, we cannot take the money, our bank account, all our possessions. You might be buried with it. You could be buried with it. You could actually be buried in your car. But you cannot take it with you. And so everything that we value, the things that we make decisions on, the question is, are those things more valuable than Jesus Christ who loved you and died on the cross for your sins and so that you could have eternal life? As we close out Missions Month, I really want to challenge us to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission, hopefully with some of us, going to various nations so that we can disciple and make disciples of all nations. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing that I want us to remember is simply this. A great commitment to God's mission will help fulfill the great commission. So a great commitment to God's mission will help fulfill the great commission. So I'm going to talk about two specific things that we see here in this one verse. Uh, those of us who have seen me preach over like 20, 30 verses, and you're like, wow, it's such a long sermon. Sometimes the longest sermon is with one verse because I parse it and I try to break it down so that you understand the word of God. But I, I heard we have a lot of stuff going on, so I will make it as short as possible. Pray hard, all right? I try to cut everything down, so I will try my best. Two things that I want us to focus in on as we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The first thing is this. We must be empowered for God's mission. What I'm simply saying is this. You cannot do God's mission on your own without the anointing and the power of God. Now, one thing that you will notice here is that after Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, he ended up appearing not only to his disciples, but the Bible tells us that he appeared to more than over 500 other people. Now, some of you are like, that's ridiculous. Well, it was a hallucination. All I can say to you, if that's how you think, is that if 500 people are seeing the same thing, then there has to be some corroboration where we say, maybe it's true. Because if someone walks in here and says, there's a fire in this building, and you see this person running around, you probably think, he's a madman. But if three other people start walking, there's a fire here, you guys have to leave. You're like, wait a minute, that madman and then three other people? And then more people come in and say, you got to get out of this room, there's a fire. And the security guard comes in and there's a fire. More people agreeing with a fact will give us greater confidence that it is true. Think about 500, over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus while he was here. After his death, resurrected for 40 days, he was here on this earth before he ascended into heaven. And in chapter 1, verse 4 earlier, four verses earlier, we notice that Jesus, in his ascension, before his ascension, he commands the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 6 through 7, we see that the disciples understood that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to be connected to a Messiah who was going to come and build an earthly kingdom. That's why, if you look at verse 7, you will notice that they ask, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Because when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that means the Messiah is here and he's going to establish an earthly kingdom. That's how the, the Jewish people understood this. Now, it's interesting that Jesus responds to them by saying that this is something that you do not need to know. Because it is set forth by God's authority, not by me being Jesus, I didn't set this. I don't even know when he's going to come back or he's, when he's going to send me back. But that is up to God, God the Father. That's why in the New Living Translation it says, The Father sets those dates, he replied, and they are not of, for you to know. The Message Translation says, You don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. As they were unsure about the future, this is when Jesus speaks 
to a greater purpose. Can I just pause here and say this? A lot of us who are still looking for purpose, because some of us are still young and you're trying to find out what is God's purpose in my life. I'm going to tell you right now, the more you try to find out what's God's purpose in my life and you focus on yourself, you make it all about yourself, the more it's going to elude you. Where you have to start is you start with God, His purposes, something that is outside of yourself, something that is greater. And as you begin to ask yourself, God, what is your purpose? What is your heart? Not as, what do you want me to do? What is my purpose in my life? But to say, God, what is on your heart? What, what are your purposes? And as you begin to understand more of his purposes, then when you join him, that's when you're going to find out more of your specific purpose in your life. So here they are wondering, when is the kingdom of God going to be established here on this earth? And Jesus says, that's something that you, you, know, you don't need to know. And then in that moment of confusion, of not understanding and not knowing, Here's Jesus that gives him or gives them a greater purpose. Something that cannot be done in our own strength or wisdom. Let's go ahead and read verse 8. And I'm going to read the first section here. Listen to what it says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let me just pause here. This, this is the first point that I want to make as we talk about we have to be empowered for God's mission. I want you to notice the important word, but. So here's Jesus emphasizing that rather than knowing the times and the dates of when God's restoration of Israel will come, what he's saying is there's a mission to be accomplished. So those dates and times, don't worry about that. But there's something else. And that is his mission. But in order to fulfill that mission, they needed to be empowered by the Spirit of God. That's why in verse 8a, as we just read, it says what? The power is something that we receive. Everyone say receive. And it is something that comes upon us by the Holy Spirit. So we receive it. And it comes upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the disciples that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon them. He said this earlier in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. It says, and behold, this is before he died. He says, and behold, I'm sending you the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city after you are clothed with what? With power from on high. So after he died, rose again from the dead, as he appeared to disciples, we see that he makes this clear statement that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be clothed with power from on high. Let me read different translations. It says this. It says in the New Living Translation, read the yellow section with me. Until the Holy Spirit comes and what? Fills you with power. Fills you with power from heaven. The New King James Version says this, until you are what? Is it up there? I guess not. Well, for, okay. We'll, we'll somehow get it. It says, endued with power. The message translation says, until you're equipped with power from on high. So if we're going to participate in God's great commission... Not only individually, some of us, but all together, even as a church. What we have to understand is we cannot do this on our own. God has given us his mission, and we cannot carry this out unless he empowers us. Even when it comes to seeing some of our loved ones come to know Christ. I know many of you have family members who are not believers. You have friends who are not believers. You have people who have turned away. You know, I, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I meet people who are older, maybe in their 40s or 50s, and you listen to their stories, and sometimes I get shocked because I realize that when they were younger, they were in, involved in, like, college ministry. And I listen to their story, and I go, how is it that you were involved in college ministry, but then 
Now you're like an atheist or you don't really, you're like anti or hostile towards Christians or Christianity. And sometimes when you just kind of listen to their story, you realize they've been hurt. They've been hurt by the hypocrisy. Maybe there was a leader who judged them. Maybe they put all their hopes and dreams on something and not realizing maybe they did it out of selfish motives, but they put all their hopes in, and it didn't come about. And they go, you know what, God, you don't work for me. It this, this, this doesn't work. Sometimes we think that if we try to try to live this good life, that God has to owe us something. He has to give us something. So you listen to their stories, you realize somewhere along the line they got hurt. That's why they're bitter. And you talk to someone like that and you're trying to be nice as possible. I'm telling you right now, they will not change. I'm not trying to discourage you if you know people like that or maybe some of you in this room are like that. But all I know for sure is this. It has to be the power of the Holy Spirit to change your heart. It has to be the power of the Holy Spirit that will change those people that you love that do not know Jesus Christ. That's why there's a false security when you think that, oh, if I just live a good life, they'll come to know Christ. No, they won't. Just because you live a good life doesn't mean that that somehow they're going to be like, wow, Jesus is awesome. God has to open up their eyes to their sinfulness and their need for Christ. It has to be the Holy Spirit that will speak to them and convict them of their sins. And they will turn away from that kind of life and turn to Christ. Listen to what Billy Graham said. As you know, he's a famous evangelist who passed away. He says this, prayer is crucial in evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone who is in rebellion against him. No matter how logical our arguments or how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's Spirit prepares the way. Do you believe that? Amen? You can have all the clear, logical arguments, but unless the Holy Spirit convicts their heart, that's why in order for us to participate in this great commission to make disciples of all nations, you cannot and I cannot Do this on our own. That's why prayer is such an important part of receiving the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can carry out the Great Commission. So are we being empowered by God's Spirit, especially as we pray? All throughout the book of Acts, we see people experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. And right after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they did something. Powerfully, because it wasn't them, but it was the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, in the New Living Translation, and everyone present was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's up there now, okay? Filled, so let's say the yellow section, okay? Let's say it again. And everyone uh, present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So once again, when the Holy Spirit is there, it empowers you. Then you're able to do things that you could not do on your own. I know some of you are kind of shy. You're like, oh, I'm so shy. I can't stand in front of people and all this kind of stuff. Did you ever see somebody who's really shy, but they've been anointed by the Holy Spirit? Anyone? Anyone? Because you're looking at one right now. I know it's hard to believe. Pastor, you were shy at one point. You better believe it. You can even ask my sister, my brother. But as soon as I understood the gospel and it gripped my heart, it literally flipped me around. Turn me around. I thank the master. That's what it does. When you are anointed by the Holy Spirit, things begin to happen. It's not you. Tell me, like, does this work for school? Yes, it does. But you got to study. Like some of us, we think we're so business savvy that we're going to get this deal and do this. But unless the Holy Spirit gives you that favor and opens that door. I think about some of the different things I was able to experience. It wasn't because of my personality or the talents that I have, I realized that it was the Holy Spirit 
when I was connected with God through prayer and I was asking him to anoint me. So every single time I would meet somebody or I would go somewhere, there would be open doors. And that's why I know it wasn't me, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you experienced that in your life? Where you prayed and God anointed you and you walked in his favor. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. Then Peter, he was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he said to them, he started speaking. Like never before. They were like thinking, who is this guy? This guy was a coward who denied Jesus three times, but he spoke boldly. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says this. While they were what? Praying. The place where they were meeting trembled and shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. That's what happens when you're anointed. Can I ask you, who are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Have you been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit filled you, which comes through prayer and waiting upon God? Let him fill you up so that you, it's no longer you, but it's his power. I love Wesley Duell in his book, The Touch, Touch the World Through Prayer. He says, prayer is your way, often the only way to water the harvest. By prayer, you can bring the Holy Spirit's blessing on any gospel efforts anywhere in the world. That's why we pray for people. That's why we pray for nations. That's why we pray for God's work in this city, in the workplace, in our schools, around the world. Prayer is powerful. This is why it brings us back to what the prophet Zechariah said in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, not by might, nor by power, by what? By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Look at some of these other translations. It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. We see that once again. By my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You will then what? Succeed because of my spirit. Not because of what you do, but because of my spirit. Though you are few and weak. Contemporary English version says this, I am the Lord all-powerful, so don't depend on your own power or strength, but on my spirit. The message translation says this, you what? Can't force these things. You can't force it. You can't try to open a door that's not opened by God. They only come through what? Through my spirit, says the God of the angel armies. Last night, I just posted something on Twitter, or sorry, X, and on Facebook, and threads, because I think things are going to migrate over there, maybe. And I just simply said, from the latest number that I received, do you know that within the eight years that we've been in existence here in Hong Kong, we have met in close to like 34, some people said it was close to 40-something, different places to have Sunday celebration. Think about that. That's like moving almost every couple months. We mastered doing a church on the go. Now with all these problems, I don't know what's going to happen because now we're fixed. But think about that. In eight years, we literally went to close to 40 different places to worship. I've been telling the story to so many people, even in my last three weeks that when I've been traveling, because they've been asking, you know, different things, and I, I, would, I would love to share the story. Because I was telling them, like, yeah, God's been good, he's been faithful, and he has shown himself to us, and I began to share about how we even got this place. And I think it should be a story that we should never get tired of telling. Because it shows us and also shows the world that it wasn't us 
that got this place. Can I get a good amen to that? Just in case some of you have forgotten, right? This is how I've been sharing. I use my hands when I share it because I want them to have a visual. We offered them this price. They offered us this price. We said, we can't do that price, but we'll stretch and we'll do this much. And they said, okay, if you're going to do that much, can you do this much? And then here we are, like, can we come somewhere in the middle? And we said, okay, can we do it? It's going to be a stretch. And we brought it to prayer. And this is the part I keep on saying, it's amazing how we serve the same God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we get all different answers. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. So I said, forget it. We're not going to do this. Because if we're not all in agreement, because we have the same spirit in us, he should be telling us similar things. If we're all different places, I'm like, we're not going to do this. So I, I told these guys, let's not do this. And it wasn't until I was taking a walk. When I was just walking, I got this crazy idea. This is when you have to really ask yourself, is this from Satan or is this from God, right? You know, crazy ideas you sometimes don't know. I got this crazy idea. The crazy idea was, here we're willing to stretch. This guy was being a little bit stubborn, and they said, okay, it's got to be here. And none of us, executive team, we were able to agree. So what I said was this, or the revelation that I felt like God gave me is, offer a price that's lower than the price you first gave. So we offered this first, and they go, no. We went like this. They go, no. Okay, maybe here. Okay, forget it. So God was saying, give them a price that's even lower than your first price. And here's the reason why. On two levels. If it's so ridiculous, this person might just laugh at us. Or they might think they were really crazy. But then I said, what if he says yes? Then all those people who said, no, I'm not sure we should do this their mouth will be sealed shut. Well, don't seal it yet because we want them to drop their mouth first. So I remember telling the executive team, give them this price, lower price. I'm sure these guys are like, Pastor, you're, so, you're foolish. Of course, they didn't say it, but I'm sure they're thinking it, you know, because I was, I was thinking that. Get behind me, Satan. This is, Seth, this is not, this is not good. But something inside of me said, if this person says yes to even the, the price that we first offered, and it's lower than that, it has to be the will of God. Can I get a good amen to that? That is the faith that we took, and we said, if we give them the lower price and they actually take it, that we know it's God who changed this person's heart. And that's exactly what happened. And that's how we were able to get this place. But don't stop there. Because then we realized, some of you have never came in here when it was nothing. I mean, we're talking about nothing. Cement floors, cement everything. And then I'm like, how much would this cost to renovate? And then we had a problem. So I said, can we, in a church that has predominantly a lot of college students, and praise God, we have some youth, youth group members, you know, yay. <laughs> Give 10 Hong Kong dollars. But anyway, it would, can a church that's made up of young people have the generosity to give? Along with some of us who are working and some families that we have, because we have some generous people, we said, can we have a church that is still very young, that is willing to give? And I, I'm going to tell you honestly, deep inside, I had some doubts. But here we are. And what really blessed me, I, I mean, my eyes got a little bit like misty, is that there were some people who didn't even have jobs and they were finding ways to use their talents. So there was a picture of people like... And I was thinking to myself, they're trying to get funds by playing in the MTR. And you know how it is. 
You've been past those people. You're like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. But they were willing to, not that, well, if they were bad, then they're humiliating themselves. But they were willing to put themselves out there. Why? Because they believed in the vision. What else did I hear? There were people who baked. And then one person gave me what they were baking. And I'm like, why are they giving it for free? Is it not good? But then I had a bite of it. I'm like, wow, this is good. I heard of people who started drawing portraits, if you wanted a portrait drawn. They didn't have much money, but they could draw, so they drew. I even heard, stop paying Uber, pay me. I have a car, and I will drive you. <laughs> and whatever I get, I'll give it to the Ripple Out campaign. So they were using their car that God blessed them with to give other people rides. But because we're in a campaign, you got to pay. And I'm going to give this to the Ripple Out campaign. I mean, I'm sure there's so many other stories. And I can't wait to hear more as we document these things. Because what it taught me was this. This can only be done by the Spirit of God. Can I get a good amen to that? Spirit of God moving our hearts, helping us to see what it is that he wants to do. And we say yes to him in obedience, in faith, and God honors that and he blesses that. How about us this morning? What are some things that you're trying to do on your own strength or power? Maybe we need to get back to some of the basic things of praying and let him fill you up with his power, his anointing. I'm wondering, when was the last time you were desperate and dependent on God? Have you been growing in your prayer life so that he could fill you? And there will be favor as God is the one who can shut and open doors. If we're going to fulfill the great commission and be a part of what God is doing, then we have to be empowered for his mission. Let me close out with the second point is this. We must not only be empowered for God's mission, but the second point is that we must be engaged in God's mission. I'm going to read the rest of verse 8. Listen to what it says. And you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I want you to think about this. He says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What I want to help you to understand is that After reminding the disciples about being powered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus now clearly gives his all-encompassing mission. Let me highlight a couple things here so that you can see this. First of all, the calling to the mission. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. The word witness in the original language is martyrio. That word martyrio it has this idea of a martyr. So if you want to reread that, it says, you will be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. Now, what is a martyr? Some of you are probably thinking like jihadi, you know, all like crazy thoughts. But let's take it for on a very simplistic level of what a martyr is. Because even in the Christian faith, there are people who had died for their faith. A martyr is someone who is willing to die for something that they believe in. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was so real to the disciples that they were willing to die for it. In fact, if you study history, many of these disciples, except for one, all all of them were martyred. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were speared. It says some of them were skinned alive. Some of them were burned at the stake. Just John the Apostle, he was exiled in the island, island of Patmos. But every single disciple, they all died for their faith. They became martyrs because they believed in something that they were willing to die for. Now, the question is this. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not true, why would you even die for something like that? If, if, I know a lot of you are not into the military kind of stuff, but... I'm telling you right now, there's something called torture. And some governments were masters at this. And there was something called waterboarding. 
And I was going to show a diagram, but I said it's going to be too graphic, and some of you might have some weird thoughts, so I, I, I didn't show that. But waterboarding has a way of making you feel like you're drowning. And they have gotten a lot of information when you feel like you're going to die. So here's the thing. If the 12 disciples got together and they said, you know what, let's fake out everybody. Let's just say that Jesus rose from the dead, but he really didn't, but let's just tell this lie. They're like, okay, okay, high fives all around. And they were caught. And they, they, were, they took the knife and they were about to skin this person alive. I'm going to lie for Peter. I'm going to lie for Thomas. Sometimes I doubt him too, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lie for these guys. Are you kidding me? As soon as you get tortured, you will be like, hold on. It was Peter's idea. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. But think about it. Every single disciple died for their faith, something that they believed in. So it was either a huge lie that they're willing to die for, which is foolish, or maybe they did see the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they believed in it so deeply that they're willing to give their lives for it. So here's Jesus saying that you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. That word witness is used over 20 times in the book of Acts alone. So this idea of being a witness is literally being able to share what it is that you experienced. Let me put it this way. Pastor Wayne, when he came, as you know, in a Chinese background, so he knows about chao shu and all that kind of stuff. And so he, he had a good amount of chao shu in his lifetime. This guy probably traveled 50-some countries around the world. He traveled quite a bit. And I traveled quite a bit, and I had chashus in different places, especially in Hong Kong. So I mean, like, I love the street one where there's rats running around. Those are the best chashus, you know. Uh, that's like you worshiping a little idol, but you don't really know Jesus, okay? There's better things, all right? Let me, let me explain. So in my eight years here in Hong Kong, I was able to find a couple places that have really high-quality, high-end chashu. Now, some of you are like, I like the chewy kind, then, then more power to you. But there's a chashu where literally you put it in your mouth and it starts disintegrating in your mouth. It is that soft and so moist that it literally, you don't have to chew that much. You just go, and then it's gone. It's just so delicately melts in your mouth. It's so good. So here I am trying to share this with Pastor Wayne. We're going to go to this place where they're going to have, they have really good chashu. He goes, oh, really? You know, I'm excited. So we go, and he eats it. You should have seen his face. I, I wish I took a picture and shined it right up there. He took the chopsticks, he put it in his mouth, and he goes, That's when I knew he's a witness to some good chashu here in Hong Kong. And I'm almost, I, I am almost 100% positive that he will, as he talks to other people, goes, oh, the best one I had was over at Seth's church when, he, when I came. He's a witness. Here's somebody like, why are we talking about food? I'm getting hungry now. Just hold on for a second. Just try to listen to me. Why is it that for many of us, it's so easy to witness about good food, a good restaurant, a good movie, a good place to go for vacation? Why is it so easy for us to be a witness of those things? But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ and who he is, some of us have some of the hardest times to be able to just witness to how good God is and what Christ has done. And here's my challenge. 
And I'm not trying to be condescending to you. I, I want you to think about this, and I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. If all your life you've been going to church, and it's just been Sunday kind of church, you do your whatever, one hour and a half, two hours, and then you walk out and you live your own life, I'm telling you right now, he will not, Jesus Christ will not really be worth it. You, you will not understand in the fullness of his goodness and his faithfulness to you. That's why we have so many people who grew up in the church and they think that I have life insurance, I'm good now, or I got fire protection, I'm good now. And they continue to live their own lives because they themselves are God, because they make choices that's good for them rather than saying, God, is this part of your kingdom? Is this going to bless people? Is this going to help people? Am I going to be able to love people in this way? The decisions we make, the things that we do, is all for ourselves. And I'm telling you right now, a lot of times you could talk a good talk about Christian life, but I'm telling you, you will not be able to be a witness. It's hard. This is why those of you who are students, let me speak to you. This is important. And I was, I'll address those of you who are working later. Hold on. This is the reason why when you don't go to classes, you are the, one of the worst people to be in a group project with. And then you try to witness, hey, you know, Jesus Christ really changed my life around. He turned me around. You know, I think the master is like, mm. I want you to think about that for a second. What they are witnessing is a person who's lazy, who is not faithfully doing their part in that project. You don't even go to class. You're asking other people for notes. Let me ask you this. As they're witnessing this, would they want to be a Christian if you're telling them Jesus can really change your life? That's the same way with work. Because if you don't understand that God gave you that work, that work is good, that God designed it, that we are working, that we are to do good works for the flourishing of that company or that society or wherever it may be. But you go there and you're like the worst slacker. Like everyone knows not to really associate with you. Some of you are like, how do you know? How do you know? Well, just think about lunch. Does anyone want to say, hey, let's grab lunch? If no one, then it might be you. No one wants to be around you, and you're thinking to yourself, what is wrong? And I'm telling you right now, if I were to witness your life and the quality of work that you do, your attitude towards work, would I be able to say, wow, if this is what Jesus does in your life, then I want to be able to know this, who this Jesus is. That's why some of the most successful people in our church, as well as in the Christian circles, even here in Hong Kong, they do things with excellence because they are able to draw attention to the work that they do so that even those who are not believers, they will be able to see that and say something's different about you. That's why I push pretty hard in our church that if you're going to study, study well. If you're going to work, work well. If you're going to go play, have fun. Be the most gregarious person in the whole world. <laughs> They're like, wow, this person really likes to have fun. Live 100%. Go all out for Jesus. Amen? And I'm wondering that witness of that can really change people around us. Let me finish with this. So we have the calling to the mission. You are his witnesses. And then we see the context. What is that context? Well, let's go back to verse 8b. It says what? You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, all of Judea. Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. That is where you're supposed to be a witness. That's the context. Now, let me quickly share this. This is important. You have to see that Jesus, what he was saying, is not only geographical area, but it's also culture. And I'll explain why this is important. Jesus wanted the disciples to start from where they were at this very moment. That's why they were in Jerusalem. That's why you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. So let me show you this map. This is kind of like what we see here. We see Jerusalem, right? So he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, you will be my witnesses where? 
in Judea. You will be my witnesses in Judea. And then from Judea, you will notice that we see here that you will then be my witnesses in Samaria. And from Samaria, it spreads out then to the ends of this earth. Now, as we think about this, these concentric circles, this is exactly what the disciples did in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 through 7, they were witnesses in Jerusalem. But then the persecution hit and they were scattered in chapter 8. So from chapter 8 and chapter 9, they started spreading out to Judea and to Samaria. Now, the reason why this is important, it's not just geographical. The reason why I say it's cultural is because the Jews hated whom? The Samaritans who lived in Samaria. And the Samaritans hated the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. So here is Jesus says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea. Judea is still within the Jewish faith. But then he says, you will also be my witnesses in where? Samaria, which is a complete different culture. People that you might not like. And then to the ends of this earth where people have not heard the gospel. And back in that time, what they thought was the whole world was all the way up to Rome. That's why chapter 10 through 28, the rest of the book of Acts, is all about witnessing to the ends of the earth. As Paul went all on these missionary journeys. Now we have to keep in mind, as the disciples were called to go further beyond their familiar place, it was getting more and more uncomfortable. In order to actually reach the ends of the earth and the nations, it's going to be that much more uncomfortable. I, I was really thankful because some of you know uh, last night uh, we had a building block latitude covenant kind of outreach, Thanksgiving outreach. It was fun. Uh, Peter and Kareem, they did a great job. They were kind of hosting. Instead of like being single people hosting, they were married. So it, it, was, it was beautiful, you know. Maybe one of these days they have like little young ones running around. But anyway, it, it, was, it was beautiful. Okay, they're, they're yelling or they're hooping and hollering for that. But anyway, and I was talking to one of the, uh, the, the moms there because they were in our group and we're just talking. And I realized that this person left their country, home country, and went into another country. And they lived there for almost like, you know, double digit numbers. And then from there, they eventually moved to Hong Kong. And I just realized that this person, went, their family because they're not from that other country, they had to literally completely adopt a whole new culture, whole new people group. And I was thinking about that, and I go, it's not as easy as you think. Those of us who came here to study from a different country, you know it's not easy. Some of you, I don't know, live in Surabaya, I don't know, like somewhere where it's really chill. Like, ah, it's so chill. And all of a sudden, the escalators are going so fast. You're like, whoa, everything's so fast here. Everyone does things so fast. Even to that level, culturally, it's different. In fact, when I went back to the States, we were walking, and they said, slow down. You're walking so fast. I go, no, I'm not. You know, but I realized this is normal Hong Kong speed. These Americans, you know, they're just like, what's up, you know? But I was going normal Hong Kong speed, but it was so fast. And so I realized for anybody who has left their own culture or their context to move to another one, there's a lot of transition. There are a lot of things that are difficult. And this is the reason why Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And every single time that they will go further and further to different places, it was getting harder and harder. But the reason why this was so important and they were willing to do this is because you see the phrase to the ends of the earth. It is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. I'm going to read it for you. This is the prophet Isaiah talking to the Israelite people of their calling of what they were supposed to do. Is it too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation, come on, say this with me, may reach to the ends of the earth. 
This is God's plan. This is his heart, that we will not take just the good news and keep it to ourselves, but the Israelite people were to share it to the rest of the world. There was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, light to the non-Jews, but they failed. That's why Jesus Christ came, and then he died on the cross, and then he rose again, and then he commissioned these disciples. And that great commission is still given to us, that we are called to make disciples of all nations. So why? So that we can be a light to the nations. And this reference, Paul understood so clearly because now he's speaking to the Gentiles. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 47 through 48. And this is exactly the quote that he quotes from Isaiah chapter 49. This is Apostle Paul speaking, not speaking to Jews now. He's speaking to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And listen to what he says. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you, what? Come on, say this. A light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So he is quoting Isaiah chapter 49. And as he's quoting this, listen to what he says. When the Gentiles heard this, so the non-Jews, they heard this. They were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who appointed for eternal life believed. They realized that this gospel message that Paul was talking about, Peter was talking about, all the disciples were talking about, that it's no longer just for the Jews now, but it's also for those who are non-Jews, that it's for the nations. The very thing that God has purposed for them to do, because they failed, Jesus came and fulfilled it, and now he's commissioning them and also us to go and make disciples of all nations. So this is the question. What does it mean for us? Let me close with this. What does it mean for us? Well, this means this. What is our Jerusalem? Jerusalem is where we live, right here in Hong Kong. This is our Jerusalem. And this is why we started the Saturate Vision. We want to saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of the glory of God. We're going to fill Hong Kong as best as we can by His grace to fill it with the knowledge of the glory of God so people will worship Him. That means that where you go to school, where you work, where you live in your neighborhood, we are called to be a light to the nations. That's why we're doing the saturated vision, because this is our Jerusalem. we got to reach Hong Kong before we reach any other place. And I'm grateful that God has given us this facility so that we can use this so that we can bring people to experience. And then we could also go out of these four walls and reach out to the community here because not only is it going to be the second CBD, the central business district, but as we've been hearing that there's, this is probably one of the most impoverished area in all of Hong Kong. It doesn't seem like that when you look at some of these buildings, but you realize there's pockets of people who do not have much. So we have the greatest opportunity to be a, a city on a hill that shines a light, where in a place like this, in Kuntong, that we could actually impact people's lives. This is our Jerusalem. And then our Judea. What is our Judea? It's the surrounding areas that's still within our locale. So that would be places like Shenzhen. And we talk about that. And here's a map, and we, we, we've been saying we've got to reach Hong Kong. As we begin to reach Hong Kong, then we could then reach out to our Judea, that'll be Shenzhen, and some of these other places around here. And then the Samaria. What is the Samaria? Samaria is the different culture that we have to cross. It's the nations. That's why we have Asia that we want to reach. 48 nations in Asia that this is our Samaria that we have to reach out to. And then to the ends of this earth where there is no gospel. And we heard that from Pastor Wayne. That's why the one thing, once again, is that a great commitment to God's mission will help us to fulfill the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. Let me have us watch this quick video and I'm going to have us afterwards respond. And the reason why I want to show you this, and I think it's important for us to see this, is that Tom Elif, uh, he, is a, he was a former pastor. He was a former missionary. He was a former International Missions Board member uh, of the Baptist denomination. And he was giving a sermon, and he was sharing 
about how it's so important that we need to raise up people who have a missionary heart, who are willing to give their lives to share the gospel with many people who do not know Jesus. I want you to listen to what he's saying in, in his words and I, the pictures you'll see reminding us why it is our calling for us to participate in the mission of God. Let's just watch this. It's a couple minutes. Let's watch this and then I'll come back. When I heard that first time, I realized that our passion, many of us, myself included, is on so many other things except for being passionate about Jesus. I think some of us were more passionate about material things than Jesus. We're more passionate about the next raise we're going to get, the school we're going to get into. I think one of the scariest things in the church are all these little idols that we worship. But we have a veneer of spirituality. And it's so easy if some of us like older or if some of us maybe know all the right words to say, you could fool a lot of people. But you can't fool God. Some of you are so busy doing a lot of things, but you haven't sat at his feet and just to worship him and to listen. Your soul is thirsty and you're filling it with so many other things. We are not going to go on missions and do all this stuff fulfilling the Great Commission if we don't have a passion for Jesus Christ and those who are lost. It's that simple. Show me a church that loves God passionately, loves people, especially the lost, and I'll, I'll show you a church that's very missions-minded. We cannot worship God and not loving the things of God. You just can't, you can't have that. You love the things of this world, then you will become worldly. You will become like what you worship. And as we close out Missions Month, I want to challenge us, every single one of us. I know we're all at different places, different stages of life, but I think every single one of us can do something. I think one of the saddest things that I know, you talk to any of these missionaries. I was just having a discussion recently with somebody. They said after about 40, 50, it's just really hard to do some of those things that you could have done in your 20s and 30s. It's just a fact. Physically, maybe mentally, you'll get a little bit more tired quickly. That's why I love college students. I love university students. I, this is the time where you can be sold, sold out for Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be weird about it. You can understand the gospel in such a way that no one else can love you the way Jesus can. No one else can satisfy you the way Jesus can. How do I know that? Look at a lot of people who don't have Jesus, but they have a lot of money. They have a lot of possessions. But look at their lives. Broken relationships. Money is just a veneer. Success is just a veneer. It just covers things up. But deep inside, they're hurting. And that's why I want to put this vision before you as while you're still young. Before you get to your 50s and 60s and start regretting your life. While you are still young. I, I know what some of your parents will say. Just study hard, get a good job, get married, have kids. And then when you're 60 years old, then you can go to church and love God. Don't buy that. And I know some of the parents are here. They're like, no wonder my kid, my kid has been brainwashed by this pastor. Do you know why? I, I don't, like, no offense to any of the parents here. Do you know why I will die on that statement? 
And I will refute any parent who comes up to me and tells me that. Because what I will then challenge that person is, how do you know how long you're going to live? You might actually die tonight. It's not in your control. So this idea of waiting till you're 60 years old, that's a little bit more foolish than you think. Not only do you think you're God because you have control over your life because you don't. But if we know that we could die in any moment, don't you want to use every single breath that you have to live for God? Yes, study hard. Yes, get a good job. Yes, get married. Yes, have kids. Do all that stuff. It's biblical. It's good. But if that's your only pursuit in life, I'm telling you right now, your life is going to be empty. That's why you know how many addictions we have in this world? So many people with psychological disorders. They have to take medication. These are hurting people who haven't really found the true healer, Jesus Christ. And if we would just humble ourselves and lay everything at the cross and say, Jesus, like you are the master. You, I surrender my life. My life is a mess. I need you. And you humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm tired of my own plans. I want to I be a part of your plan. Whatever you want me to do, it can actually change your life. And I'm praying that God will do that. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.